Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. She's one of our favorites, Sarah Stook. The tables have turned. We have been giving her all sorts of well-deserved heat because of the political situation over in... Did we decide on Omni Shambles? Is that what we're going to call the last couple of weeks in UK politics? Yeah, I mean, that's just such a fantastic word. So, yeah, and that's what it is. It is the biggest Omni Shambles ever. Yeah, Omni Shambles. We've seen um, three prime ministers in short order, including a new king on top of that. But today... Fair's fair. She's going to take some shots at us from over yonder. She's going to talk about 10 races in our midterm elections, which, frankly, we've got some mess of our own. Let's just all be grown up adults about this. Before we get to that, Sarah, how are you? How are things over yonder? I'm good. We're enjoying quite mild weather for the season, which is good because heating prices are ridiculous. However, I'm northern, so the heating doesn't need to go on yet. We'll, uh, we'll ship you some firewood or some coal or something. We'll work it out. <laughs> Uh, all right, you're writing in the mallet now. For folks that aren't familiar with Sarah, she also works for her elections daily here in the states, so she does know what she's talking about on this. Frequent contributor to this year program, go watch all her good talks we have in the archives. Uh, let's start big picture though. When you're looking at these midterm races, you pick ten because you always do these lists, and we always have you on to talk about this list. What were you looking for? Was it interesting? Was it the loud races? Was it the personalities? Was it the close races? What was your criteria here? I think a lot of it was um, races that aren't particularly uh, definitive. I think it, I wanted things that would be close or, you know, toss-ups, for example. And then, you know, the races that are, you've got the races that are really in the media, such as, you know, Ohio and Pennsylvania, ones where there have been very interesting debates and also, you know, um, the issues, because inflation is a massive issue in the United States, abortion is another one, slightly less so, but still there. And then obviously each individual state race uh, governor will have their own issues pretended. So a state like Alaska with energy, for example. So I wanted like sort of different ones and then like said, different personalities because there are some really, you know, high profile figures, people, you know, rising stars in the past, even if they don't win this time, perhaps even could be a future president in there for all we know. Gosh, I hope not with some of these lot, but you never know. Yeah, I'm after the Joe Biden and Donald Trump back to back elections, I'm not going to rule out anybody for the presidency anytime soon. I've learned my lesson, folks. I'm yeah. going to get out of the prediction business for a while as far as who's going to be president down the road. Uh, let's start with New York. This one's interesting because uh, you have an incumbent that's not elected, Kathy Hawkins. She took over when uh, Cuomo finally found a scandal he couldn't wiggle his way out of and got deposed. Um, 
so she's running against Lee Zeldin. This is a name that is pretty well known in New York politics. He's a problematic candidate, but there's some headwinds going on here. Uh, again, she wasn't elected on her own, so she's kind of trying to figure out how to do this campaign thing. Zeldin, of course, it's going to be a red year for the Republican Party, so he's riding that. It's New York, so crime's an issue. This is way closer than it probably ought to be is kind of the long and the short of this one. Yeah, I mean, the New York state is very Democrat as well. Obviously, you've got, you know, individual um, Congress and, you know, state assemblies that are red. However, as generally, it's a blue state. And because it is dominated by New York, which is, the you know, the largest um, city by population, you know, it's a bit like Portland and Oregon, Chicago and Illinois. It's like the centre. And obviously, cities tend to be very blue, especially one as diverse as New York. So, and obviously, the Republicans could make inroads upstate, but they really haven't. And even then, would it really balance it out? So, like you said, yes, it should not be this close. I think, you know, I think, Kathy will Hokel will win. I don't think that her opponent will, but I think Hokel will win. But it will be a lot closer than it should have been. And yes, the red wave will help. Uh, at the end of the day, I think New York is maybe not as blue as California, but it's still a very reliable, reliable seat for the Democrats. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think she holds this. Zeldin's making it closer mostly due to the environment more than him particularly, but we'll see what happens. You never know from a race where you have somebody who's never run for office before to some, to a race where it's an actual literal rerun of the previous race down in Georgia, Brian Kemp, the sitting governor in Georgia, Stacey Abrams. This is part two. They're doing it again. This is not kind of gone the way folks have thought it would though. There's been a, this was a very, very close election. It was so close that Stacey Abrams, um, sort of soft pedal conceded, never actually came out and said it until quite a bit later. This was very close first time. This has actually opened up a little bit. Kemp looks like he might win this somewhat comfortably. And comfortable is relative here, but instead of the, you know, few hundred thousand votes here, he may win this thing by three, four, five points now. Interesting replay race down in Georgia. Uh, very much so. You know, obviously, Georgia went blue last election in 2022 uh, statewide. Uh, the Senate obviously has to do a runoff because it was so very close. Um, and because George is still newly blue, that does benefit the Republicans. And, you know, a lot of people on the left praise Stacey Abrams for doing a heck of a lot for voter registration, especially among the ethnic minority community. I mean, she's not dumb. She went to an Ivy League school. So, you know, she's not exactly, you know, a opponent they can dismiss easily and like you said it was very close last election that being said i do feel a lot of people on the left sort of overemphasize her role george is still fundamentally a southern traditional state and that you know just because a candidate is well known well established it's kind of like jeremy corbyn here the only reason he did so well in the 2017 election was because Theresa may and the tories did shockingly bad maybe perhaps a better leader would have done better for labor and he's also lost the 2019 election Stanley though again i think another labor leader would have also lost and i think that overemphasis you're seeing a lot of support from out of georgia which is fine people can have an opinion about it but at the end of the day it is the georgians who are going to be voting it's not the media and other politicians it's georgians so they're not going to be represented by the more sort of managerial class as it were hence why i think kemp is going to win 
Yeah, George is interesting because it is changing. I don't think it's changing that fast. I think Kemp wins this. We're going to talk about that Senate race in a minute because we may see some split ticketing on this thing. We'll talk about that in just a second. Sarah Stook joining us. All right, Arizona's probably one of the messier, louder, messy. I'm going to say messy twice because it's a mess uh, out in Arizona. Uh, Doug Ducey has been the governor out there. He's term limited, so he's standing aside. Katie Hobbs and Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake is, of course, a former TV anchor. That would be a presenter for those of you from Grimsby. Um, she's very good on a microphone. She's charismatic. She's also problematic for a lot of folks. But Katie Hobbs is kind of run and hit and not done well. She's not as good on TV. That's pretty much this whole race. Carrie Lake looks like she's starting to pull away a little bit here. How did you see it? I think, yeah, like you said, um, Carrie Lake is very good on the media, which I think is quite important you know if you look at some of the former presidents you know bill clinton very charismatic obama you know saw some speeches and recently he's still got he's still a phenomenal speaker ronald reagan former actor and also you don't have to be a great presence to be a great politician but i think it sort of helps the image you don't want a cold fish you want someone dynamic and exciting and i think the fact that she's not really worked in politics helps i think People are getting more excited about outsider images on both sides. Donald Trump, AOC, and you know, Katie Hobbs has got a bit of a past with Arizona's interesting. You know, traditionally red went blue last cycle, still very much the home of moderate conservatism in the way of John McCain. Uh, but now the candidate is too, either too closely related or too far away. You know, Carrie Lake has got Trump's endorsement, but he's endorsing conservatives and Republicans across the station. You know, Katie Hobbs isn't exactly, she hasn't been debating. You know, a lot of people have criticised her for being quite quiet. A lot of Democrats refuse to take part in the race because she's very much a reluctant competitor, which is strange in a seat that she could, if you try, she could probably get. It's not like a deeply red state she it's possible i mean it's blue at the moment but senators are blue so yeah i think it's really strange i found it very strange that she doesn't really seem to want it and it contrasts so, so much because carrie lake wants to fight everybody all the time on every single thing um she's blatantly saying she's not going to concede the election if she loses because there's no way she can lose she's very she's more trumpy than trump in some ways she is all in on the um, Trump style of politics. She wants to fight everybody. So then when you get somebody that doesn't want to really be out there like Hobbes is, it just contrasts it even more. It makes it look even worse, for lack of a better political term. It just makes it look bad when you got somebody who wants to fight all the time and you got somebody else that seems reluctant to fight. It's just glaring. Exactly. You know, politics is about fighting. And if they think that one isn't going to fight for their state like the other is, if it's going to come down to, you know, infrastructure projects and other things for Arizona, if you've got someone who doesn't really care, then you're not going to vote for them because they're not going to benefit your state, whereas the other one will. You may not like her style. And I think, again, that's the appeal for Trump. You know, his rhetoric can be a bit much, but you got the impression that if he cared about something, he really cared. And he was very, you know, I'm doing this for America. His whole image was very populist, which I think is sort of the flavour at the moment, you know, across the world. I mean, missing that, obviously, the Brazilian elections just occurred. You had a populist right versus populist left.
Sarah Swift joining us. You mentioned Portland a minute ago. Oregon's not going to really elect a Republican governor, are they? This is another one of those where this probably shouldn't be that close, but um, Kate Brown's term limited. Kate Brown came in on the wave of a corruption scandal. She's had a few issues herself. <laughs> Tina Kotek isn't exactly setting the world on fire, but again, this is Portland and Oregon. They're not going to really elect a Republican governor, are they? Well, if you look at the gubernatorial races over the past few cycles, the margins have slimmed down significantly for the Democrats. And yes, you know, Portland does make up a lot of Oregon. And, you know, Portland, you know, is seen by the right-wing press as some evil communist hellhole with loads of homelessness and crime. I mean, to an extent, it's true. Portland has a lot of problems. It's sort of the cliche of the hipster cafe drinking dog cafe kind of place you know very left-wing would not vote for a republican would vote for a dead donkey if it was representing the democrats but you know there's other places in oregon but also if you live in portland and you are directly affected by crime if you can't afford a place to live if you've been made homeless or you're worried about the homeless encampments you know the democrats have seem to have done nothing you know there's no houses being built there's not really any help for the homeless there's still a lot of crime then you're going to think well why why don't i just vote for the alternative you know there are some places that will always be very right or very left you know if you look at like san francisco it's always going to be really democrat that's just like a fact of life versus like deep rural missouri it will be red portland i think you know could change but i think it will be outside of portland in oregon where we will see change i think portland yeah i think it's i still think it's pretty left and it will depend on rural suburban city turnout as well you know if people are thinking well i could never vote republican but i don't want to vote democrat they'll just stay at home or vote third party yeah, we've actually done a whole episode on Portland with two of our good friends that live in Portland. And it's funny when you talk to them because they're like, no, it's nothing like what's portrayed on TV. But then the problems, if the right ring really wanted to attack Democrats, there's a lot of problems. And these are both, you know, left leaning Democratic guys saying, look, we've screwed this city up. There's a lot of issues here, but you never get to the issues because they're so busy with the stereotypes. You can find a Republican in Portland at the moment. Well, there's some there that you you can find them anywhere, but it's, it, Portland's always fascinating because you, you have that stereotype and it's not the same as it is on the ground. But then if you actually take five minutes to get beyond the stereotype, you can get to some real issues where you really could hit them. Just people are too lazy to do it. It's really interesting. I think what you're saying has some merit. Whenever you have a deep blue state, every now and then there's just a cycle where the apathy catches up because they're like, oh, it's going to be so it drives your voter turnout down. Every now and then you can sneak up on somebody. But I agree with you. I don't think this is the case. I think it just gets closer than it should be. And they'll hold that as well. Sarah Stuck joining us. Okay, here's an ugly one. We just did a whole episode on this last week. Um, uh, Our friend Eric Garcia came in on the debate, which is one of the most cringiest political things I've ever seen in my entire life. John Fetterman, uh, Mehmet Oz, Dr. Oz, Pennsylvania. Look, I do this full time. I'm just going to say, I don't think anybody has a clue how this election is going to go because I think we're so far off the map now. I don't think the polls matter. I don't think any, I don't think anybody knows which ways this thing's going to break because I don't think we've ever seen anything remotely like this. 
yeah, I mean, this is coming from a country where politics is going a bit crazy as well. But, you know, Pennsylvania is probably the most interesting. And I think it's the one, you know, in the UK we sort of, you know, there's news articles about the midterms not really focusing on particular races. But when it does, Pennsylvania tends to pop up more, maybe because it's so, you know, insane but is oz known over there i know he's a tv star here is is that something that's been syndicated or is trickled over there i don't there? think he's particularly well known but i was watching a film the other day and it mentioned dr oz's show and obviously this is like a film from a few years ago. i was thinking wow now he'll be known as possibly as being a senator but no i don't think he's particularly well known here it's probably it's the same with them with tv stars here you guys wouldn't have heard of them so no it's not really well known i think it's just the fact it's in the crackers race in a swing state so for the backstory in case somebody's living under a rock and doesn't know two days before the primary um fetterman had a health issue it was what we were all told turns out that he had a stroke then it turned out that it was a pretty significant medical event he's been doing rehab he got back on the campaign trail somewhere around august he has some limitations from the stroke um and the debate was a disaster on all sides. Uh, Fetterman was obviously not put in a position. Let me be kind here. He he was put in a position to not succeed. I don't know why. Just take the hit for do, doing the debate. I have no idea why his advisors thought this was a good idea. On top of that, you get Oz being a snarky jerk about the whole thing and making it even worse. And like everybody's like, well, Fetterman shouldn't be here. But man, that guy's a jerk. I'll just go back to where we started. I have no idea where this is going to go. I think maybe this is one of those things where it's a red year, so maybe Oz gets enough backwind to to push him over the line with Fetterman's issues. If it was all straight up and Fetterman was healthy, I think he probably beats him five to ten points, but he's clearly not. Those images are hard to overcome. I'm sympathetic to the to the disability stuff. I got I got nothing. I'm not guessing. I I, I think this is something that's probably going to be studied for a long time as far as an outlier in politics, because this is just bonkers. Yeah, I mean, I agree about, you know, you should, I think the thing is you can not you could you should rightly not mock his disability, but at the same time, he shouldn't be protected because of it. You know, we look at Joe Biden, you know, you've got armchair psychiatrists saying he's got dementia. I mean, regardless of whether we'll ever get a fair a diagnosis basically the Goldwater rule don't diagnose if you don't know a patient personally he clearly has memory issues Fessman had a stroke and you know that's not like a minor heart attack or something that's going to affect you know cognitive function memory mobility speech and you know I didn't watch the whole debate because I, I don't think you can get it over here but I watched the clip and I just thought he's he's clearly lost and i think a lot of people blaming his wife as being a bit of a lady macbeth and then they're thinking well if something happens to him god forbid while he's in office then the governor will have to replace him with somebody who are they going to replace him with will it be his wife kind of like a john cindy mccain kind of thing and yeah so i think (laughs) i don't think dropping out now would obviously be a bit of a disaster i don't even know what would happen if you did right now and how they would replace him and i think you know if the voters voted for him in the primary that's their prerogative and they have a right to that candidate but at the same time i have severe reservations about his ability and a lot of journalists have covered it up and now these journalists are eating their words after watching that debate that debate pushed me in the camp that oz will win and i just think he needs 
he needs rest he needs to look after himself being a senator is a very hard job and perhaps he will recover perhaps he can run next time he's not exactly an old man he has plenty of political years left i just kind of feel sorry for him and i've my anger isn't necessarily at Fetterman, it's at those who are propping him up because I think it's wrong. I really wonder too if this was any candidate but Oz. And frankly, my opinion, I don't think he's fit for office with his Turkish connections, his charlatanism as a doctor. Like he's just, he's, he has no qualifications for the office either. At least Fetterman's been an elected official and worked his way up a little bit, even with his other issues that we could bring up. I really wonder if it was anybody other than Oz, if this would play out differently. I, I really think do. It would be more of a cakewalk for the Republicans. I think, like yeah. you said, it's not really, they're not really amazing candidates either way. I mean, Fetterman has also got his issues beyond his health issues. You know, his family basically paid for his business and his life until he was 49, which, yeah, you know, is kind of dude, generous parents. Different. It's kind of like a, he's a bit of a, kind of like a Kennedy in the whole. Bon Viant, I think those French people say it. Yeah. Yeah, trust funds. Um, then you've got Dr. Oz also has his issues, you know, like you said, um, his medical thing, um, practice, some of the things he said. It's, I'm sure we're probably better candidates for both sides. However, you know, if that's the primaries, that's what people vote for. You can say, you know, you get who you voted for. So we, like I said, I do believe Oz will win. I reckon it will be very close. I don't think it's going to be like a landslide by any stretch of the imagination. But I just feel kind of sorry for Pennsylvanians either way, really. You're in a state with so much focus because it's generally a swing state. And you've got two presidents from Pennsylvania. One is considered widely considered the worst president. The other isn't doing too well at the moment. So I think the Pennsylvanians need to get some good politicians out, really. Or Pennsylvania. Let's go back down to Georgia. Raphael Warnock's the sitting senator. You already mentioned it. The runoff elections in Georgia were an absolute disaster. That's probably the crack in the Trump wall if there is one in the Republican Party, because he no doubt made that situation 10 times worse than it needed to be. Probably cost him two Senate seats. This was one of them. Uh, he's the incumbent. I got to back up for a minute, though. That recall election, where, who's another problematic candidate. Both of these candidates have accusations against them in their personal lives. Um Herschel Walker is, of course, let's just call it what it is. He's a celebrity candidate. He doesn't have any qualifications. It's just a straight-up celebrity candidate because he's a Georgia football star. Yes, that means a whole lot in the state of Georgia. Let's all be adults here. That does mean something. The debate was what it was. We had the fake badge come out. We had Warnock getting hit on certain things. Herschel Walker, very smartly, because he has taken outside advice, played down his expectations, which puts um, – Senator Warnock in a position where he can't win even if he wins because if you don't knock the guy out, now you look bad. That worked, so that helped Herschel Walker out a little bit. This is going to be a very, very tight race. We already talked about the Abrams-Kemp race. They're going to be tied together probably, but we could see a split here where, and you kind of came to the same conclusion, is we could get a Kemp governor and still get Raphael Warnock as a senator from Georgia. 
that's my prediction you know warnock you know he's very um as he's got you know a religious background a lot of people have pressed him on the abortion issue because obviously roe v wade has like the overturn came out and that's been sort of a massive discussion and one that's sort of the democrats main sticking point because they can't really tack on inflation because they're the party in control abortion however they can and then people saying you are a minister you are religious why are you advocating for abortion and you know african-americans very pretty much uniformly vote democrat however they are a lot more socially conservative on abortion and lgbt rights so it's kind of a bit of a a, a difference as it were he's got opinions you would expect more from a perhaps a white liberal as opposed to a black liberal for example but walker you know accusations that he's paid for abortions there's been so many of these family friendly figures who are anti-LGBT rights, abortion and, you know, affairs who have turned out to have done these things, to have been arrested for extramarital affairs, paying for abortions, um, solicitation, same-sex relationships. I mean, if you look at Newt Gingrich, cheat on both of his first wives with the next one. So it's hardly a figure of morality and greatness, even compared to Bill Clinton. However, I don't think people really care as much. Evangelicals went out in droves for Trump, even though they would, if that was a Democratic candidate, it'd probably be a bit more, oh, he's so awful how he's treated his wives and children. So whether people care or not, you know, you don't vote on a candidate. Boris Johnson was known to have affairs, yet he was very popular. I, I think the person much less if they've had affairs, but that's personally my traditional views. However, I wouldn't not vote for someone if they had an affair. The abortion thing, I think that's hypocritical. Again, would I, my vote based on it? I'm not entirely sure it would. One or two points, though, would probably change this race. I think that is a one or two point issue for him. I know it's not going to lose a lot of the hardcores, but it'll lose a lot of those marginal voters for him. So I think Warnock does sneak this one out. And this is where where Kemp survives the changing tides in Georgia politics. I think Warnock benefits from them and the little yeah, bit of the purpling down there. Advantage. A confident advantage, I do feel, is a real thing because your name's already out there. And it's only been two years. And that again, that race that he won, that got people, especially in the right wing press and folks on the right, they went places you don't go. You mentioned him being a minister. Yeah, there's a debate about because he's a progressive minister and, you know, that's a theological debate. People on the outside of that don't want to hear your opinion on that debate, though. It's one of those things. So that got really personal. And that was only two years ago. I don't think those folks have forgotten. I think he's got just enough to pass this one off. I agree with you. I think he wins and they hold the seat. All right. <laughs> Personal bias is on the time on the table here. Uh, I I cannot even pretend to be unbiased when it comes to this individual. I have plenty in print, media, and elsewhere that I just you know, if the guy was drowning, I'd probably chuck him a center block to try to help him out. <laughs> I can already guess who you mean. Um, 
the Senate race in Ohio, boy, is this a hot mess. We've talked about Democrats having a tough slog. Tim Ryan's overperforming. He's probably still not going to win, but he's overperforming because this was a Trump state pretty handily, eight or nine points. J.D. Vance, this is not my opinion. This is sourced. He, unlike Walker, who finally took some help and straightened his campaign out, Vance has refused help. He doesn't want anybody's outside opinion. He doesn't want any help. He's run a terrible campaign. Ryan should not be within five, six, seven, eight points of Vance. Vance should be running away with this, but he's not. Now, I don't personally like him because he's slighted my culture, made money off it, and then disappeared without helping anybody out. That's just me. This race should not be close, but it is. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I I can imagine. I mean, I don't really know much about his um, book or his film beyond sort of what people say, how it's sort of a bit paternalistic about Appalachian culture, about people who aren't as educated. And I can completely understand that coming from an area where there's like a lower amount of higher education. We're not particularly educated. I can completely understand that. And I completely agree. I really do not like that view of the less educated voter if somebody grew up in knightsbridge and wrote a book about grimsby that's that's what you're dealing with exactly that's what it is i mean yes he grew up there but then he went to like yale or harvard or whatever and is now a venture capitalist like this is not a dude who grew up and never left this is a dude who and you can respect him for pulling himself up and i feel in america voters really appreciate a person who started out with nothing and rose above the ranks and i don't begrudge him for that but at the same time, totally understand. I think his views are also problematic. Um, but he will still win because, you know, it's a Regia. He's an Ohio, which is still fairly sort of Midwestern shucks conservatism. It's not as deep as, you know, like Missouri or whatever. But I think it's a, I think it's a win for him. Tim Ryan's kind of, I feel like, a, a bit of a near candidate like he's not a bad candidate but he's not good either he's not really set him put himself out there he's not really made himself look bad either though but is that what you need a candidate that's not too controversial i feel you know that's what voters look for in 2020 with trump versus biden obviously they didn't really got what get what they wished for but the example is there perhaps sometimes you need a normal candidate yeah i i think tim ryan's trying really hard i think he's He's kind of a throwback moderate Democrat in a lot of ways. I know they're painting him as a super liberal, but he's really not. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, he's a lock for high office in the state of Ohio because that's a normal Ohio. The Ohio today that's been trending redder and redder and redder. He's just on the outside looking in. He's on the wrong side of the slack chart. So I agree with you. I think Vance pulls that out. God help us. He will be in the U.S. Senate. I would rather him not be, but, you know, is what it is. And that's Ohio for you. They always make bad decisions and people up there. <laughs> Sarah's stuck. We kid those who we love. Don't get upset, Ohio folks. You go to a house race. Um, Sarah's stuck joining us. We go to a house race out in California. This is the 20, uh, 21st district out here. David Vallado. He's going to run in California 22. Um, he's running against Rudy Solis. Why did you pick this house race? Obviously, California is a blue state, but there's some real red enclaves, especially in the house of the way that's districted out. There's still some, you know, those old Reagan, California districts out there. Why did you pick this race to highlight? Well, to be quite honest, I was I was trying to sort of split between gubernatorial races, Senate races and house races. I wanted to do a bit of each. I was 
and because they're not as prominent over here like i had to dig in a little bit more to see you know what's sort of going on so i thought okay i'll go for this one especially because read restrictings happened and that's really changed the cards for a lot of it the Valdauer, so how do you say his name the uh, republican bloke i can't say it correctly either probably but um uh, David Valadao is how I'm saying it. I'm probably Valadao. saying it wrong. Valadeo. It's spelled Valadeo. I'm saying Valadeo. If I'm saying it wrong, I apologize. And then Rudy Soleil. Portuguese and, you know, Hispanic majorities in quite a lot of America. But also, you know, Portuguese Brazilian is, you know, still a rather large chunk of the earth, though, you know, less so. So I think that's actually kind of interesting because. You know, there's sort of some sort of similar linguistics and culture, but it's still a separate language. But I just think that's really interesting that it's a Portuguese one when you perhaps automatically assume Hispanic if you didn't really know the name that well. But yeah, so because of the redistricting, the you know previous previous candidates have said, you know, I'm not interested in running, so he's technically got that district. So it's going to be sort of he's. Here's an interesting one because he voted to impeach Trump, which is like a big no-no in the Republican Party at the moment because Trump still holds a lot of sway. However, probably a lot of voters don't really care about that anymore. That's like in the past. So I think he can get away with it, really. And plus, they know that no other Democrat would probably win that seat. That's why the Republicans refused to put anyone else up. They said, okay, no one else would win, so you might as well keep him. It'll be interesting if he can get away with that, if he were to win and then to run again. 2024 if you got trump on the ballot and now you have to deal with it, it'd be interesting to see if that comes back up Okay, this is one we actually covered with our friend uh, Sarah Montablano a couple days ago. Alaska's at-large. Of course, they get one delegate for at-large because while it's the largest state, the population's pretty low. Mary Peltola, um, and we're projecting a little bit, she's actually already won the seat, but because of the really screwiness, Don Young, who'd been the representative up there for forever, died. So and he died during the primary process. So they had to have the regular election and the special election back to back. So this is a really screwy election where, you know, she's already won one of them. Now she's going to try to win the other one. It looks like she'll win it again. She was up against Sarah Palin and Nick Bajic. Um, <laughs> y'all, we've been making fun of y'all system, our system where you got to run for the same seat twice within two months. Yeah, of each other. It's pretty funny. In the space of a few months, like the Clinton's have like a sort of like a sort of a seat warmer for a bit. I just i find that bizarre but yeah it's, to the it's a strange situation but the headline here is a state that's traditionally it's red but it's just like we talked with our friend sarah about it's not a MAGA red it's not a trumpian red it's a very unique state very independent streak doesn't really fit neatly into a lot of categories so now you're going to have a quasi-independent senator uh lisa murkowski who of course caucuses with republicans but because she wanted to avoid the primary battles she endorsed mary peltola who's a democrat Interesting stuff going on up in the, the last frontier. That's paved off a lot of Republicans from what I've seen who think she's a bit of a traitor. 
for advocating for a Democrat. But as you said, you know, Alaska's a very fascinating place. You know, I think a lot of the hatred from the Democrats comes from, I listened to a podcast about it not long ago, and I can't remember the specific details, but the Democrats were more wary about gun ownership in Alaska and, you know, energy independence and things and Alaskans were like no so hence why they're Republican because you know very pro second amendment because in Alaska you probably need it let's be fair if anybody needs a gun it's the Alaskans energy as well and it's so isolated takes a while for a cop to get to you you kind of got to just handle exactly. it yourself. we've got a moose in front of you bada bing bada boom you got to go for it you because I wouldn't want to be mauled by a moose would you or a polar bear so yeah so um Mary uh, Plater is, you know, she's pro-Second Amendment. She's pro-energy independence. She's still got liberal views on things like abortion, which, you know, I don't know if that's really as big an issue, which I might come on to a bit later. But she's got what they want. She's independent. She's not sort of beholden to the main Democratic Party. You know, Sarah Palin is a very controversial figure. I do feel some kinship with her. We're both brunettes with glasses called Sarah great but you know she's she's a bit of a monarch figure i think she's great as like a a speaker she's quite i mean she's not eloquent but she's very passionate which i do admire about her she's very you know in it to win it all for it but i think you know because of alaska's ranked voting system i mean even she said she's um going to vote for mary peralta as her second choice people are actually less pissy about that because it's the second choice and like lisa merzkowski who said first choice but there's also a third republican a second republican but i don't think anyone really cares about him to be honest so yeah and there's real life he the backstory there is the republican folks are actively attacking Bajic even though he's on the ballot so that's one of those yeah, interesting. Look, Murkowski's untouchable now. There, there was a spell in there where they thought they could get her. That's why she feels free to do this. Um, she's going to be a swing vote in the Senate as long as she. I like Susan Collins. Yeah, like she, she's going to be a. This is why we're talking about like, look, if the Senate margin is one or two votes, it really hasn't changed any because you still got the Mansions and the Murkowskis and the, you know, you've got these swing votes that could go either way on these issues. So. Um, she feels very secure. That's why she gets away with that. And she can start calling the shots for people she wants. And it's going to be interesting times up there. Uh, Sarah Stuck. Uh, one more here. This one is very interesting as well. This one actually got quite a bit of press coverage back during the primaries. Uh, Myra Flores, I hope I'm saying this correctly. Dan Sanchez, this is Texas's 34th congressional district. So we're going to the opposites here. We're going from the, the northern boundary of America down to the southern border, literally. This is a fascinating case. This is a area that has been traditionally Democratic, tending Republican, and it's trending Republican because the margins in the Latino and Hispanic communities down on the borders are trending red. And that's kind of the story here. I mean, exactly. You know, um, the Hispanics were never sort of a monolithic voting block in the same way African-Americans are, but they certainly trended Democrat. And if you look at it, the Republicans have been trying to get them for a while, and you can understand why. Latinos tend to be more socially conservative, especially if they're Catholic, on abortion. They're very family-oriented people, which I think is something I really admire about them, actually. And But fundamentally, the, I think a lot of the people on the left assume that they would be left-wing because of the immigration issue, but they kind of forget that the vast majority of those people are either born in the US 
or entered legally. So if other people are coming in illegally after you come in legally, you're going to be a bit annoyed about that, aren't you? And that's not to say that they're going to suddenly all vote Republican. People still vote Democrat. And I still think the Republicans should be very careful and not, you know, take them for granted. Same way, you know, Democrats shouldn't take, you know, Asian Americans, Muslim Americans, African Americans for granted. But I think you playing on the Hispanic vote is essential as they're an expanding demographic. In some areas, there might be actually more Hispanics than uh, Caucasian people. Spanish is a growing language. You've got to, you know, play into demographics. So if they play their cards right and they have a good voting block, then hopefully people who can, you know, speak for such a large community. I think if a community is that large, they need representation and spokespeople within the nation. Yeah. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Stuck. We're going to link to the entire piece at the Mallard. It's her 10 races to watch. Uh, I would re- be remiss if I did not ask you this question. However, last time we talked, we were breaking down movies about historical events or prestige series we wanted to see. So I have to ask you, Sarah Stuck, my good friend, are we going to get a Liz Trust versus the Lettuce movie? It would be like a great... There's already people like... Pe- British people like casting... Like a fantasy cast thing. Bless her heart, she's not that interesting, so she would not be very compelling. It's kind of like doing a presidential film on, like, I don't know, William Henry Harrison or somebody who was a little bit dull. You don't do it on the dull people, you do it on the interesting people. They'll be borrowed. I mean, so don't be knocking Dip a canoe now. He at least had a nickname. He had a nickname, but he only died after 30 days, and the Simpsons called him a mediocre president, so. I don't know if we can judge the guy on 30 days and he died. I mean, that's a little unfair. But that's kind of like the libertarian dream, isn't it? He did nothing. That is like an anarchist libertarian, like, yes, he's my favorite because he did nothing and just died. He was the anti-Wilson who, you know. He's the anti-Wilson. He's like, I don't think, I don't know if Harrison was like racist or anything, whereas Woodrow Wilson was very horrible to minorities. But yeah, kind of the opposite in several different ways. They're both from Virginia, so... It's funny, too, because we were talking about the Fetterman situation, and I hate everything about that. I hate that the debate went forward. I hate how people treated it. I hate the, I hated the disability discussion, which went way off the rails instead of where it should have been. People don't realize Wilson had a stroke in office and was we're not even really sure how disabled he was because Edith Wilson blocked him off and became the gatekeeper. Are we ever going to really know how disabled he was? And again, this is, you know, different era. 
modern era, we would have never known about it. Kind of like FDR, they hid that he couldn't walk. Um, Kennedy, they hid everything that the guy's health was terrible and all the stuff he was doing. You can go down the list. All kinds of presidents have hit all sorts of things. You can't hide anything now. You really can't. Yeah, I mean, that's kind that, of the lesson of that, isn't it? I think nowadays we're a lot more accommodating about disabled people, which is nothing wonderful. You know, I think um, Bush uh, seniors, um, Americans with Disabilities Act was a really fundamental cornerstone of uh, civil rights for the disabled in America. And I think that's one of the legacies that I think he would have been most proud of. But like you said, you know, Woodrow Wilson, the stroke, it should have gone to his vice president as sort of per convention slash constitution however they said no we want him to the country he was paralyzed on his left side at the very least he could barely talk and walk towards the end so as much as you can admire edith wilson for being the first female president in air quotes what she did was a bit not that great if, if it was on british tv i'd use a lot of a stronger expletive but yeah um fdr obviously that kept hidden because you know again uh, people back then had a lower view of disabled people. I mean, even up until a few years ago, there's, I mean, there's still people who think disabled people are like cursed by God or deem or possessed by demons. You know, it's a very tragic situation. Maybe not the case in 1940s America, but still very limited views on disability. So him being in a wheelchair, otherwise perfectly fine, as in coherent, no mental disabilities. I mean, Nixon tried to dig up the dirt on Kennedy, and you know, I have no love. For the Kennedys, but Nixon was dirty as well. I mean, even um, George McGovern had to replace Thomas Eagleton in the '72 election because it turned out he had had electroshock therapy for depression. Um, and then you know, later, Rosalind Carter would be instrumental in talking about mental health within America. And there's been a few you know, presidents and first ladies whose families have died by suicide. Eleanor Roosevelt's father, Betty Ford's father. So I think that's an interesting discussion. However, I don't think Fetterman can be shielded from criticism because of his disability. His disability, I think, is one that could affect him in office, whereas you know, FDRs not, wouldn't necessarily have had, but as Woodrow Wilson's would have affected him and did, he shouldn't be shielded from it. Yeah, my general thing on this, because they were talking about, like, no, look, with the disabled folks, handicapped folks, you accommodate it to the best of your ability and then let somebody else sort it out. So just accommodate them, give them whatever you possibly can, let the voters figure it out and go from there. I think it's very interesting though. Like there's no way Lincoln was not clinically depressed. If you've read any, like even a cursory, like that dude had depression. Yeah, and did, his uh, wife as well. Who was, had all sorts of, you know, again, we don't want to diagnose, but she, very was, tragic she, figure. Was, she had a lot of issues. We'll leave it and at that. And you can't blame her. This, I mean, no, she had three of her children. She wasn't even allowed at her husband's bedside when he died because she was too hysterical. Well, obviously, she's going to be hysterical because her husband's been shot in front of her. Bit kind of like Jackie Kennedy, but sort of, you know, I think Jackie Kennedy's more praised because it's widely believed she did have PTSD. However, you know, she wasn't the kind of emotional outwardly and she kept it very quiet i think if she'd been a bit more say hysterical as we would call women like that then it'd be different yeah sarah stuck we appreciate you always always enjoy the conversation let folks know where they can follow you we're going to link to the mallard piece uh but you got plenty of other stuff going on you write in elections daily you've got your twitter tell folks where they can keep up with you 
I'm going to do a little Halloween thread after this about the White House and haunted royal places because it's Halloween and you've got to get in the history. Um, I'm doing a series on uh, presidential runners-up. I've just written and sent in the third piece of that for Elections Daily. And for the Mallard, I'm going to be doing about our Queen and Prince Consort, which will be fun because I always feel like we ignore everybody who isn't Henry VIII's wives. Yeah, I'm really looking forward. We mentioned that last time we talked. We'll probably do an episode on that one because that'll be fun because uh, yeah. everybody loves a little salacious royal scandal and there's a couple oh, of them involved in oh. there. Henry VIII was just sort of the surface of it when you look at like George II's mistresses. Woo! Oh, it's, it's always the quiet ones that get you when you start looking through history, the ones you think are super upright and they turn out to be the real, you know, kinky weirdo people. Yeah. Not I mean, that we're going to judge. We're not going to judge. We're just going to report the facts. Queen Victoria, nine kids. She loved her husband. Let's, let's, let's just say that. She loved hey, her God, husband very much. God bless her and Albert. Uh, and mourned him. What was the story? She lay, had his clothes laid out every day for the rest of her life. Something like yeah, that. and she like never wore anything wore black. black. And it actually made her unpopular because she never went out anywhere. And they were like, oh, you need to go out and do something. She was like, no, I'm sad. Hey, like, celebrity couple that actually loved each other. I'll take it however we can get it. Sarah Stook, it's always fun, my friend. Royals who loved each other. Yeah, rare thing these days. Appreciate you, my friend. Talk again soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All the music on Her Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com.